a lot of people were asking all weekend long, where's JB? Where's JB in Packland? Uh, you know, JB, where were you? Yeah, it's taking taking some time and with the family, watching a lot of D3 football on Saturday, man. It was a great slate of week five games. You know, we were kind of cleaning up after the hurricane, a lot of stuff going on this week. Um, October 4th is my son Declan's 16th birthday. So happy B-Day, buddy. Uh, we got Phoenix's birthday, 18. I have an 18-year-old, Frank. How is that even possible? Saturday. And then next Tuesday, the 11th, is my wife's birthday. So this is three birthdays in seven days. I've been doing some shopping. I've been kind of busy getting this whole celebration teed up. And of course, on Jen's birthday, senior night for my stepdaughter, Katie, whose volleyball team beat Lake Mary three sets of nothing last night. And they're on their way to the Florida State playoffs. Yay, Katie. Hey, uh, I've got somebody uh, in particular that was wondering where you were and wanted to maybe have some words with you. Um, remember the kicker from uh, Grove City, uh, the one that you kind of uh, described as... <laughs> A, yeah, a the big guy. Man. Yeah, yes. He he he's like. He, is there a Piesman Trophy that we should get this guy running for? I mean, come on, he's scoring points. Well, he's scoring points, and he made a tackle in which he uh, basically got a nice little uh, divot taken out of his lip in the process of it. Uh, let, let's hear from Nick Morrow, uh, the fifth-year kicker from Grove City, to just hear about his experience being a big man kicker, and maybe some hope for you out there, JB. Okay, identify yourself, sir. I'm Nick Morrow. I'm the senior kicker here on the team. There's five of us, and I'm the fifth-year senior. Okay, so a couple things here. Uh, first off, JB uh, sends his best. Uh, he, he fell in love with you when he saw a picture of uh, what he thought was a 260-pound kicker, but there's been rumors going around this field today that you're actually a 300-pound kicker. That, that is, Yeah, that's correct. They haven't updated the roster. They think it's funnier when I come out there looking like, say I'm 265, but I'm definitely not. Okay, so... Extra points, was that your duty today? Extra points and field goals, yes. So basically you won the game for this team today. No, uh, Curry's getting that pick, sealing the game up, the offense driving down the field, the O-line in front of me, Custer's, Custer holding that ball, getting in place, CJ snapping it. There's a lot of... You stop stop being so humble. Look at the scoreboard, 14-13. Your two points made the difference today. Come on. There's... 10 guys in front of me that have to make it possible. So that's what happened today. 10 other guys helped me put those points on the board. The offense got us in position and Curtis sealed it up. So, so humble, so humble. Okay, so then what is this thing right here? What happened to you? Uh, the blocked field goal. I went and I grabbed my first tackle of my collegiate career and it was just a mess all over my face. I think I bit through my lip. Uh, leave that kind of duty to the players right, that are meant to tackle, right. okay? Please stop trying to tackle players. That's not pretty. Uh, yeah, no. Nah. You did say in the sideline that you thought the girls would like it. The girls are going to like the scar, so I'm hopeful. You think I'm so? Hopeful. I'm thinking they're going to like it. Okay, uh, I, let's know how that goes for you. <laughs> I will. Uh, any words for JB, though, because he loves the bowling ball of a kicker that you are. <laughs> hey, just, thanks. I mean, I'm trying to spread awareness that big guys can kick, too. Um, that's about it. JB, you heard that? Big guys like you can kick too, even at your age, right? That's for sure. Get out there with some holder and a staffer, and you got it. Tell everybody it's season 15 of In the Huddle. Season 15, In the Huddle. Okay, thanks again to Nick for uh, playing along with us there. And uh, you have a picture of the entire kicking crew with me as well. I'll share here. Uh, they're a fun group on the sideline. Uh, you kind of need a little comic relief at times with that rain falling uh, in the second half, especially on yeah. Saturday. Uh, it was a wet one. And the pack has, as we say down here, more clarity right now, thanks to some of the goings-on on Saturday afternoon and evening, especially the evening where Westminster just couldn't get it together against Carnegie Mellon. More on that in a little bit. 
But your 30,000 foot view, JB, of week five, I'm very interested to hear how you came away from that weekend feeling. Well, like I think you said, there's, there is some clarity that we're starting to see um, both in each region kind of nationally as teams are starting to separate a little bit as we work our way towards the playoffs in the next uh, five, six weeks. So um, Whitewater, once again, proving that as long as there's time on the clock, they're going to find a way to win a game. Um, impressive back and forth there with, with lacrosse, who uh, you know, maybe solidifies themselves in a, a pool C spot. It's going to be tough, though, Frank. There's so many of these teams that are just on the, on the verge, and, and we're seeing hardly any undefeated teams out there anymore. We're down to 29, I think, overall across the entire country at 240 teams, and really it's 27 because you take the two NESCAC teams out of the NCAA playoffs. So it's it's going to come down to some interesting, tough choices for the committee down the road. But I think we're starting to see a little bit of clarity, but still more big games ahead. Well, let's talk about the games that occurred yeah, before we talk about the games ahead a little bit more. So as you know, folks, this is crunch time for week five of the 2022 Division Three college football season. We'll start in Region 1. Friday night, Western Connecticut visited UMass Dartmouth. And in the first quarter, 8.50 left, Mass Dartmouth's Malachi Sameo gets a 34-yard touchdown pass from Dante Avila-Santos to make it 14-0 that early in the game. But Western Connecticut would come back. Second quarter, 11.33 left. It's Chad Blasky with a 13-yard touchdown pass from John Giller to make it 14 apiece. Four minutes later, Angel Sanchez gets a 10-yard pass from Dante Villasantos to make it 20-14 in favor of the Corsairs. Just before halftime, Easton Coleman with a 43-yard touchdown pass from Villasantos to make it 27-14. And then 10-37 left fourth quarter, Angel Sanchez again, this time from 64 yards out from Villasantos to make it 48-21. That would be your final score in favor of UMass Dartmouth. Dante Villasantos, the UMass or excuse me, the Mass CAC, I should say, uh, player of the week on offense. 20 for 25, 333 yards, six passing touchdowns. Angel Sanchez, seven receptions, 141 yards, and two touchdowns. Incredible performances there. Alfred State at Anna Maria. Alfred State led 10-6 at halftime. In the third quarter, 125 left. Anna Maria's DeAndre Wallace gets a 16-yard touchdown pass from Alex Cohen. It's 13-10 in favor of Anna Maria. Alfred State responds with 13.43 left as Jake Palmer gets a two-yard touchdown run. Now it's 17.13 Alfred State. But the ensuing kickoff is Justin McMillian, not uh, any relation, I don't believe, to uh, last week's McMillian, getting a 99-yard touchdown return uh, off the kickoff. 19.17 Anna Maria leads now with that kick failing there. So 19.17, four minutes later. Khalil Bowens, a three-yard touchdown run. Now it's 25-17 in favor of Anna Maria. Look, Alfred State would not be denied in this game. Jake Palmer with a one-yard touchdown run. His second of that game makes it 25-23. Anna Maria still leading. And then with 2.59 left, it's Roman Napoleon with a 73-yard touchdown pass from Justin Horvath. 30-25 Alfred State. And then the last chance here for Anna Maria, it's Alex Cohen getting intercepted by Riley Van Fleet, and that would do it. It was a final of 30-25 Alfred State. The team scored 32 points in that fourth quarter as Justin Horvath went 10 for 17, 195 yards. Game-winning touchdown with the 73-yard pass with 2.59 left. No video here, Plymouth State at Framingham State. 14-9 Plymouth State wins. The FSU defense held PSU to 158 total yards. Manny Sanchez for Plymouth State, though, 18 rushes, 43 yards, a rushing touchdown. Plymouth State's uh, special teams unit had a blocked field goal in the game in a low-scoring affair. They needed every point they could get. Back to the video, it was Del Bell at Stevenson. In the first Stevenson drive, you can see here that Ryan Sedgwick gets intercepted by Anthony Nobile to really start things off wrong for Stevenson. And then later on, it's a one-yard touchdown run by Louis Berrios that made it 6-0. In the second quarter, though, 
uh, look at this. Tamir Barksdale, a 29-yard touchdown pass from Barrios, makes it 12-0 in favor of Delaware Valley. Third quarter, 5.52 left, and it's Jordan Colazzo, a 20-yard touchdown pass from Barrios to give Delaware a 19-0 lead. Stevenson just was never in this game offensively. 26-7, Delaware wins. Barrios, 231 total yards, two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, and also defensive lineman Yusuf Aladinov, I believe is the correct pronunciation, eight tackles, three tackles for loss, and one sack. Let's see who drinks from the mug in the Coast Guard Norwich game. And in that game, it was a first half that was back and forth. Late in the second quarter with Coast Guard up 17-14, Norwich's Tykel Stewart gets a 58-yard touchdown pass from Mitchell Thiel. That made it 21-17 with 109 left in the first half. The teams traded field goals in the, uh, to start the second half. In the fourth quarter, though, Norwich's Trevor Chase gets a three-yard touchdown pass from Mitchell Thiel. Now it's Norwich leading 31-20. Coast Guard would get a 28-yard field goal with 35 seconds left, leading to an onside kick down by eight. Finnegan Hall's kickoff, though, was recovered by Norwich, and that would do it. Norwich wins 31-23. Thiel for Norwich makes it a 25 for 36 afternoon, 350 yards, four passing touchdowns. Spencer McMillian, the name we mentioned earlier, just six rushes for 23 yards. I think the secret's out about him suddenly, JB. And so Region 1 goes that way with a lot of exciting action. What else you have for us in that Region 1? Well, Endicott still seems their defense is something else this year. They tie a program record with their third shutout in five games holding the Hudson Eagles to the goose egg, unfortunately, uh, for, for them. But, man, you've got to really respect the, the job that the, the defensive coordinator at Endicott is doing. I think you might be talking about him as a new head coach um, you know, coming up with this type of performance. In a uh, ECFC shootout, Gallaudet outlasts Keystone. The Giants still looking for that first win. Um, kind of what we expected across the, the NESCAC. Catholic with a big win over MIT, putting up 42 points. Uh, University of New England is back um, to their winning ways with a 37-21 win. Uh, same thing with FDU Florham, who, who took care of Escoria 28-14. Uh, really, Frank, though, the, the score that kind of really surprised me was this Bridgewater 82-0 win over Fitchburg. Uh, the quarterback, James Cahoon, I think, for, for the Bears, threw nine passes and completed six of them for touchdowns for almost 200 yards. I don't know. Uh, I feel bad for the Falcons. You don't love to see scores like that, but you know, what, what can you do? Um, in, in other news, we had the Merchant Marine offensive line getting the D3Football.com sort of offensive line of the of the week award uh, for I think a 360 something yard rushing performance in the 41-14 win over WPI. Very impressive. Good job, Mariners. And that's Region One for you, Frank. Well, if that's Region 1, I got some good stuff in Region 2 for you as well. How's that sound? And here we go with, first off, Mooresville State visiting Cortland State. 7.20 left first quarter. Cortland's Cole Burgess gets an 11-yard touchdown pass from Zach Boyce to make it 7-0 in favor of Cortland. Uh, it, really, this was all Cortland in this game, so let's just shoot ahead to 12.40 left second quarter. Cole Burgess again, 9-yard touchdown pass from Boyce. It's now 14-0. Then in the third quarter... Alfano St. John gets an eight-yard touchdown run, 21-0 now Cortland leads. Final score, 28-7 as the Red Dragons do it on both sides of the ball. And Jaden Alfano St. John gets 37 rushes, 247 yards, and one rushing touchdown. What a day for him. Steven Freericks with 175 total yards for Morrisville, one passing touchdown. Let's go to a triumvirate of games from the pack, as it was leaders of the pack Saturday for us here and for the conference itself. First off, we'll start with Case Western Reserve at Grove City, the uh, afternoon game that I attended. And we see with 8.58 left first quarter, Clayton Parrish getting a two-yard touchdown run. That was after defensive pass interference in the end zone. So back-to-back -back plays there add up to 7-0 to in favor of Grove City. 2.08 left in the first quarter, though. It's Ethan Dallum get, getting a seven-yard touchdown pass from Drew Saxon to tie things up seven apiece. In the second quarter, Case's Antonio Orsini gets a one-yard touchdown run to give the lead to Case Western Reserve 13-7. to 
Then later on, at 3.56 left in the second quarter, Grove City's Clayton Parrish, after a failed fourth down uh, attempt by Case Western Reserve, gets a 36-yard touchdown run, 14-13 Grove City. And you'll see here uh, later on, we're going to fast forward to the fourth quarter, same score. We had no scoring throughout the second half. Drew Saxon intercepted by Curtis Fryermuth to make it a possession late in the game for Grove City to try to put it away. And how do they put it away? Well, that aforementioned uh, Clayton Parrish gets a run, slides at the one, and they're able to run out the clock at that point in time as there was 2.23 left at that point, and uh, they could do it. So great job by Clayton, great job by Grove City to win 14-13. to Parrish, 19 rushes, 113 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Drew Saxon of Case Western Reserve, 27 for 42, 239 yards, one passing touchdown, but two interceptions, including the one you saw there. Westminster was trying to keep the lead in their possession, or at least partially, against Carnegie Mellon. But in the rain fest in the first half, here's you don't see the actual catch, but you'll see him running in your screen. Nolan Pitsenberger getting a 64-yard Interception return, a pick six for touchdown, making it 7-0 in favor of Carnegie Mellon. In the middle of the second quarter, though, Cole Konichka is intercepted again by Pitsenberger. No points on this one, but still, it's a second interception for Nolan Pitsenberger. At the end of the first half, here is a real chance for Westminster at the 10-yard line of uh, Carnegie Mellon. And Mitchell Stokey with a huge sack thwarts that possibility and we went to halftime at 10 to 0 in the fourth excuse me at 7 to 0 in the fourth quarter we'll get to 10 to 0 as Cole Hanna hits his 38 yard field goal to make it that with 303 left that would do it Carnegie Mellon has the lead in the pack 10 to 0 final score Pittsburgh 64 yard pick six and uh, again another interception on top of that and also of uh, the Carnegie Mellon offense only gained 105 yards total, including only eight in the first half, yet they win the game 10 to zero. Think about that for a second. Speaking about wins and interesting wins at that, Teal at Bethany. Teal's losing streak was 41 games coming into this game, but they took a lead here. First off, 220 left in the second quarter. Andre Rogers gets a 75-yard kickoff return to make it 14-6. And then in the third quarter, it's Deion Logan with a 73-yard touchdown run, making it 20-6 in favor of Teal. But Bethany did surge back in this game. After a one-yard touchdown midway through the third quarter, 44 seconds left in that third. Devon McWhorter gets a 64-yard touchdown pass from Marquise Robinson. It tied the game, 20 apiece. Then Bethany continued to pour it on as Trejor Owens gets a 27-yard touchdown run. A fourth quarter, 8.48 left. Extra point was blocked, 26-20. That's Bethany leading there. But a minute and a half, check that, two and a half minutes later, Teal's Jordan Collier gets an 11-yard touchdown run, and they get their extra point to take a 27-26 lead. Clearly, there would be chances still for Bethany, but here's the last chance on fourth and six. It was an incomplete pass by Robinson. He was trying to find McWhorter, but it was incomplete. Teal breaks the losing streak, and all of America celebrates with them. 27-26. Congratulations, Teal. Owen Trumbull, 126 total yards, one passing touchdown. Breaks that 41-game losing streak dating back to 2017. It's been five years. Finally, in Region 2, we'll go to the Centennial Conference as your Sinus took on Susquehanna. The teams traded field goals early in the game, late in the first quarter, though. It was Josh Parson getting a 28-yard pick six for Susquehanna to make it 10-3 in favor of Susquehanna with 2.18 left in the first quarter. Continuing now, Kyle, ha Kyle Howes with a 26-yard touchdown pass from Michael Roosh makes it with 8.59 left second quarter, 17-3 Susquehanna. Another year sinus field goal before halftime made it 17-6, but Kevin DePrince gets a four-yard touchdown pass from Jack Pazinska, excuse me, to make it 17-12, still Susquehanna leading with 3.43 left. Your sinus did try an onside kick, it failed, but they would get the ball back as Susquehanna fumbled it away late in the game. With now with 2.44 left, uh, your sinus has a chance here. But we'll go to 4th and 10 for the Ursinus 41, and an interception by Keith Green ends the game effectively and protects the win for Susquehanna 17-12. The Susquehanna defense with 4 sacks, 6 tackles for loss, 
four interceptions and a fumble recovery. Frankie Negrini gets 28 rushes, 108 yards for Susquehanna. On the other side, Jack Kaczynska with a 21 for 39 day, 330 yards, one passing touchdown, but those interceptions costly. Again, uh, I think it's four interceptions two weeks in a row. First time he survived it, second time he did not. But still a very good game in the Centennial Conference. JB, what else you got? Yeah, well, speaking of the Centennial, Frank, that's really the only conference at this point in Region 2 that seems to be a little bit up for grabs. You, know, you have both Hopkins and Susquehanna now kind of at the top of the rankings. They'll eventually play, maybe even this upcoming weekend. I'd have to double-check the schedule. But everywhere else, kind of clear favorites across the board. Ithaca dominated Hobart on Saturday. Um, that was a tough one for me to watch. I mean, Union had a great game with a freshman quarterback, um, really took care of business. Uh, but they'll they'll still be considered underdogs to the Bombers who are on a roll. Uh, elsewhere, Salisbury wins. They seem to be in control of, of the NJAC. There really weren't a lot of close games other than the Rowan, Christopher Newport, and um, William Patterson Kane games in in in, in the NJAC really. So, kind of what you ex would expect at this point. I think we have a lot more clarity in Region Two than we do elsewhere. But ironically, six undefeated teams in in this region um, still, which is but tied for, I think, for the most in, in the country. Well, now Region 3 will start off with no video here as Trinity visited Hendricks. Uh, we didn't, we couldn't find our credit card in time, really, to slide through for the paywall uh, to uh, watch this game. But, uh, we, yeah, we, we heard a little bit about it. So, uh, Tucker Horn uh, for Trinity it leads his team to a 28-7 win with an 18 for 22 afternoon, 177 yards, two passing, and one rushing touchdowns. Uh, Jacob Wood for Hendricks was 20 for 27, very efficient, 227 yards, one to, uh, interception though, and Hendricks's special teams 0 for 3 on field goals. That's a way to not get yourself the momentum you might need in a game like that, so Trinity with that big win. Also in the SAA, Barry visited Birmingham Southern, and early on Birmingham Southern took a 10-0 lead, but after a field goal by Barry, it was Gavin Gray getting a 9-yard touchdown run with 6.02 left in the second quarter to make it 10 to 10. We were tied at halftime. In the third quarter, 11-13 left. It's Brandon Rue with a 25-yard touchdown pass from Matt McCleary to give Birmingham Southern the lead back at 17 to 10. In the fourth quarter, John Lewis puts it away for Birmingham Southern as it's a 36-yard touchdown run for him, and that made it a 24-10 game, and that was your final. Matt McCleary, 17 for 21, 209 yards, two passing touchdowns. The defense for Birmingham Southern, two interceptions. Inside linebacker Grady Bryant of Barry, though, had 14 tackles, including one for loss. Let's go to the USA South as Bellhaven took on Methodist. Good game here, as Methodist was up 14-7 early, but Bellhaven's Fabian Carter gets a 34-yard touchdown pass from Tim Johnson with 3.51 left first quarter to tie things up at 14. The teams would trade touchdowns, but both would miss extra points, so we were knotted at 20-20 before halftime. Then 5.21 left second quarter. It's Taekwon Eddy with a one-yard run for a touchdown. 27-20, Methodist leads the game now. Go to the fourth quarter, 11-21 left, and it's Deant Galishaw is uh, what we have on our sheet here. A 33-yard touchdown pass from Tim Johnson makes it 27-27, tied again. Six minutes later, Bellhaven continues to surge. Colby Blunt with a 10-yard touchdown run makes it 34-27. Well, Bellhaven would have to stave off one final Methodist attempt, and Brandon Bowens was intercepted by T.J. Hersey, and that would do it late in the game. It was Bellhaven winning 34-27. Their offense scored 14 unanswered in the fourth quarter, as you saw. Their defense had three sacks, one interception. Keyshawn Pete from Methodist, so 14 rushes, 112 yards, two rushing touchdowns. The ODAC was off the previous weekend, and so they come back to action with Hampton-Sydney visiting Bridgewater, Virginia. In the first quarter, Bridgewater's Malcolm Anderson with this 75-yard touchdown run with 11.05 left in that first quarter makes it 7-3 in favor of Bridgewater. Halftime, though, was a 10-10 tie. We'll go to the third quarter, 10 minutes left. Malcolm Anderson again, a 3-yard touchdown run for Bridgewater makes it 17-10 in favor of them. Third quarter, two minutes later, Malik Frost, 
Three-yard touchdown run, 17 apiece. Hampton-Sydney tied up the game. So Bridgewater in the fourth quarter, looking at that tie score, still has Albert Mensah with an eight-yard touchdown run, giving them back the lead, 24-17 late in favor of Bridgewater. Then a field goal by Jackson Hendren would really put it away. This 28-yard field goal makes it 27-17 with 20 seconds left, and that would be the final score in favor of Bridgewater. The Eagles break the 17-apiece tie with 3.43 remaining. Malcolm Anderson, 228 total yards, two rushing touchdowns, and two interceptions. JB, the SAA coming alive for sure, and they have some big games to be played still there. USA South, not so much, but the ODAC's got some huge ones still to come as well. What else you got in Region 3? Yeah, I mean, the ODAC is the conference with the three undefeated teams, so eventually that's going to sort itself out because Randolph-Macon, Shenandoah, and Bridgewater are all unbeaten and 1-0 in the conference at this point. So that will shake out and, and get some clarity over the next coming weeks. Elsewhere, Frank, I don't know how they did it, but a couple of teams from North Carolina played games on Friday night, and we didn't even have that on our schedule or radar. But uh, North Carolina Wesleyan and Brevard uh, win those respective games pretty pretty comfortably. Not a, not a whole lot of close ones except for the Millsap-Sewanee game. Um, everything else, pretty, pretty lopsided, but... I think we're we're in a spot now where it's going to be interesting to see how this ODAC race plays out. And this weekend, can Birmingham Southern knock off Trinity? That's the game of games really in uh, Region 3, I would say, coming up here. And an important one for many, many different teams out there, including the Wheatons of the world that are looking at Trinity now, hoping they win out so that it helps their own resume uh, look better because that loss earlier in the season is something to think about yeah. there. Regions four through six, uh, you see six games here. We're going to look at video three and just talk about the uh, three others. So we'll start with really the game of the week, Whitewater at Lacrosse in the WEAC. And it's Lacrosse leading early in this game, 10 to seven early in the second quarter. 9.07 left in that second quarter. It's Tommy Coates getting a 12 yard touchdown pass from Evan Lewandowski. It's 14 to 10 in favor of Whitewater at that point. Eight minutes later, minute 20 left. Field goal was blocked by Lacrosse, and it was returned by Cade Osborne for a 65-yard touchdown. Wow, what a change of momentum there. 17-14 Lacrosse at halftime. In the third quarter, Tommy Coates gets his third touchdown reception of the game for Lewandowski, a 12-yard pass to make it 21-17 Whitewater, so momentum going back and forth in this game. 2-12 left third quarter, Brant Bowman. 25-yard touchdown pass from Kieser Helterbrand makes a 24-21 lacrosse. The teams will trade touchdowns on either side of the third quarter break, making it 31-28 lacrosse. In the fourth quarter, Jeffrey Isatawa McGuire gets a 29-yard field goal for Whitewater to tie things up with 525 left, 31 apiece. Now look at what happens here. As Helterbrand completes a pass to Ryan Bartol for 15 yards, to their, uh, their own 35-yard line, and fumble is recovered by Nelson. That's Luke Nelson of UW-Dub. So now Isatolo McGuire, later on in this fourth quarter, gets a chance with 153 left to kick Would have given Whitewater the lead. We'll keep going though because Lacrosse still would have a chance. Kate Garcia though is intercepted by Egan Hine, and so now again Whitewater with the chance. Isatella McGuire is good from 39 yards out with three seconds left. And we'll show you the last play as Whitewater had the three-point lead. Helterbrand tries the completion and all the trickeration. It does not work here. It is Whitewater with the miracle win, kind of, uh, with everything that happened at the end of that fourth quarter. 34-31. 
Lacrosse did lead at the half 17-14. Lewandowski, 26 for 34, 347 yards, four passing touchdowns, and an interception. I got to give him credit with that level of uh, stat line, the poise he showed with the storyline in this game, with where he came from or where he is now. Great job, Evan. You deserve the win with those kinds of stats and that kind of poise. I will give it to you all day, every day. Let's go to a huge game in the CCIW as Wheaton would take on North Central. We keep calling it probably North Central's last big test of this season. Maybe Wash U will have something to say about that. North Central led 20-0 at halftime. Greenfield 24 rushes, 189 yards, two rushing and one receiving touchdowns for him. Final video uh, that we'll be showing you here is DePaul at Denison, a big NCAC game ultimately for the lead. Halftime was a 10-6 DePaul lead in the third quarter. Trent Veith with a 19-yard touchdown pass from Wally Rennie made it 17-6 in favor of DePaul. So they look like they were cruising, but not so fast. 1-11 left, so 34 seconds later, DJ Johnson, a 48-yard touchdown pass from Drew Dawkins makes it 17-13. Dennison will get a chance here uh, with three minutes left to pause ball and Wally Rennie with this 16-yard gain. They're looking to cruise into the end zone, but a forced fumble by Clay Denstorf uh, is picked up by Anthony Rooney, and this would give them a real chance. Fourth and 11, though, Dennison's Drew Dawkins is sacked for a loss of 17 yards, and that would pretty much end the game right there. DePaul wins and takes the NCAC lead. 17-13 was the score. Rennie with 242 total yards for DePaul. One passing touchdown and an interception. The defense, though, for DePaul. Nine sacks, ten tackles for loss in an interception. Let's just talk about these last three games real quick here as Concordia Moorhead and St. John's in the MIAC, or MIAC, uh, had an interesting go over here as Concordia Moorhead had to score 21 and answered in the fourth to make it this close. Aaron Severson, 18 for 28, 360 yards, five passing touchdowns, two interceptions, led to a 35-28 win by St. John's ultimately. Way too close for comfort when you really look at where they should be here. But so was Bethel as Gustavus Adolphus almost got them. It was a 30-27 final in favor of Bethel. George Sandvin for Gustavus Adolphus, 24 for 43, 401 yards, three passing touchdowns. Micah Newell uh, with Bethel, 15 ca catches, 192 yards, one touchdown. But again, just too close for comfort for both leaders in the Mayak. And finally, in the MIAA, a big upset that we didn't necessarily see coming. Alma beats trying 40-21 to to stay undefeated and have a part of the lead in the MIAA. Alma's offense outgained uh, trying 509-386. And their defense had five sacks, seven tackles for loss, three interceptions. Alex Price for trying 356 total yards, three passing touchdowns in the losing effort in that game. So, JB, those bottom three games, uh, kind of surprises that we picked out, especially from yeah. uh, regions four and six there. What else you got for us in those regions? Well, it, although this region typically has a lot of blowouts, and you'll see on this slide on each of the three columns, there, there's a lot of lopsided games, but there's also anybody can lose any weekend. That's not always the favorites that are going to come through, and we, we saw some close calls, it, it, you know, Wabash hangs on to, to beat uh, Wittenberg. They've always kind of lived dangerously this season, so they're, they're continuing with that that same MO. Um, Franklin outlasts Bluffton uh, elsewhere in the HCAC. Uh, Heidelberg wins big. Otterbein beats Capital. We saw a pretty good game between St. Scholastica and Hanlon, which is a one-pointer, almost <laughs> 85 points total score. That, that, that was probably the most interesting or kind of crazy game that, that was out there in, in regions four through six. Elsewhere, Lake Forest staying undefeated in the Midwest Conference. Uh, you had um, Wash U winning big. Ripon outlasts Illinois College. They're also undefeated as well. So interesting stuff ahead still in, in the MWC. Adrian with a four game winning streak now and a pretty impressive win for Aaron Jenkins and the Bulldogs. They're going to be taking on Trine this weekend, and if they get over that hump, then all of a sudden maybe this MIAA race gets a little little, little different between Alma and Adrian now, um, and Albion's still out there as well, so that, that's, that's an interesting conference. I caught the end of this uh, double overtime game between Carroll and Augustana. It was really great. Um, touchdown, won it in, in double OT. Very exciting game. And then out west, Frank, Pomona Pitzer is quietly – 
worked its way into, I think, first place in this in the Skyac. Now, I think technically them and Cal Lutheran have the same uh, win-loss conference record, but overall, I think um, Pomona Pitzer had, are they the Sage Hens? Am I getting that one right? Yeah, they're the Sage. So the Sage Hens are kind of in the lead out there. So that'll be interesting. They're basically playing for the chance to fly up to Oregon to play Linfield, who won 72-2. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, Region 4 through 6 for you. I think they get that chance no matter what. Uh, it's on their schedule. They're going to be going up, but uh, it will be a big game at that. And there will be a lot of great games to talk about. But first, I'm going to remind you that this has been crunch time for Week 5 of the 2022 Division Three college football season. Okay, JB, let's hit your MVPs first here. Then we got a couple discussion points uh, to hit about uh, kind of the big picture of Division Three going on out there. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see, though, though that you're honoring uh, Louis Berrios IV uh, from Del Val. You know, we picked on uh, the offense from Del Val a little bit throughout the season, saying yeah. that they really weren't doing that great. And uh, he really did step up in a game where they needed him to against a Stevenson team that should have probably put on a lot more points on the board themselves. Well, he gave insurance to make sure that if they did, they would not be a winner in terms of the Mustangs. Yeah, definitely. And so as far as, I mean, Lewandowski had a great game. There were lots of quarterbacks that put up big stats, but I, I felt because of the importance in that conference race, and this pretty much, I think, wraps up the MAC for uh, for the season with this win. DelVal's offense looks strong. They still need to work on the kicking game. So, any of you high school juniors and seniors, if you want to play Division three football, give you know give the Aggies a call because they they still seem to be struggling in the in the in the uh, PAT category. But hey, if you have a quarterback like Louie here, he's going to get you some points. And, and he got that offense moving and they need, they needed it against a, a pretty strong Stevenson team. And they kind of control their own destiny from here on out, I think, at least in, in their, in their conference race. Elsewhere, I would say, I mean, even though he had one blocked, he missed um, this freshman from Arizona, Jeffrey Isatalo McGuire. Am I saying that right, Frank? As good as I'm going to do with it, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to give this kid credit. He just he kept coming back. They kept going to him. He kicked the last six points of the game, and and those two field goals the Warhawks desperately needed in order to win a game they probably should have lost. To be honest, um, I felt like the Eagles kind of gave this one away. Especially that last interception was a, was a tough one for me to kind of stomach. I was I was excited that we might see an upset, but the poise of this Whitewater team is really unmatched, and that may mean something big time down the road. So congrats to him on, on making those clutch kicks, even when he struggled. And then defensively, there were some great performances out there. I know that uh, you know Hopkins uh, had a defensive end with six sacks. But once again, this DePaul-Denison game was really kind of a conference championship, bigger stakes. And Bravon Good, if I'm saying that right, from DePaul had four sacks to go with six tackles, really had a big game. And they really needed those sacks and, and tackles. Uh, to keep a very potent big red offense to 13 points. I'm going to suggest maybe Jude, uh, maybe a harder G, uh, G on that uh, name. But either way, uh, yeah. Bravon had a great uh, day indeed. Uh, who did not have a great day? Uh, yours truly, 9-6 and six versus your 11-4. and four. So I'm now eight games behind in our predictions. We, this needs to turn around, and we'll talk about that on Friday. So, you know, we were going to be leading. Uh, one of the topics we were going to talk about in this uh, show was one that uh, Keith McMillan and company actually uh, had gone into the d3football.com Slack channel that I'm part of and brought up themselves. And since they go first usually in the week with their podcast, they did mm -hmm. go first. And maybe I'm glad they did uh, because of some of the traffic going on on this stuff. Um, the point we were going to make is, do, can you remember a season in the last 20 years in which Mount Union has been talked about this little to this point because honestly besides putting them on my ballot and maybe a couple uh moments we've uh, put on our show about them we've really not talked about that team uh from alliance ohio mount union uh we, you know we'll show you the scoreboard we might point out hey they blew out whoever again and now let's move along but uh yeah. you know it, it's interesting to get other people's takes on stuff like this and we got one from a friend of the show i want to read it off uh, they said it, it's twofold in their minds why we haven't heard much. Uh, they haven't beaten anyone. Some of their mystique left 
with number one, the Karras family exit, two, North Central pushing past them in relevance, three, the rest of the OAC is struggling mightily since the increased D2 NAIA in Ohio presence has grown. They've been taking players away. Interesting point there. Uh, John Carroll, yeah. Baldwin Walls, who's to be locks as number twos, but they're getting uh, best, they're beat out of conference in the playoffs, etc. So the conference strength is taking mm-hmm. a hit in the coaching circle a bit. Uh, not to say yeah. they uh, that he this person doesn't think uh, mounts a top eight to ten team, but a non-conference win versus Defiance when others are uh, traveling for marquee games, the gap between them and everyone else is closed. Johns Hopkins being within ten last year and Muhlenberg being within one score, uh, but North Central going to uh, you know I guess both yeah, the last two years, yeah, or last two seasons. They went to Mount Union mm-hmm. uh, in back-to-back tourneys for wins. That never happened before and bumped them out of the top three. Yep. You know, So you, now you have NCC, UW-Dub, and UMHB in a lot of people's minds. Uh, they're in the next group in this person's mind, four through eight, with St. John's, Trinity, uh, who is their underrated team, Mount Union, UWL, and Wheaton. In the end, their conference losing success hurts hurts them. Their conference's losing of success hurts them is what they're saying. Yeah. So let's break that apart. I want you to take some of those points. Uh, is Do you agree with this person's assessment? And what do you think about the idea that we really haven't been talking about Mount Union? And maybe that's to our detriment when it comes to week 13 and they start blasting people by 30 points or something like that. And we haven't been saying much about them one way or the other to that point. Yeah, well, to the first question... I can't remember a time in 20 years where we didn't really talk a lot about Mountain Union and we might, maybe we should, because there's guys like Braxton Plunk, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Um, Ruby, Ruby is the wide receiver, right? And he's, he's outstanding. He's an all American, um, you know, caliber player. And overall, I mean, yeah, they've been dominating everyone they play, but yeah, the OAC has taken some hits. I mean, John Carroll lost to Washington and Jefferson, I think, in, in the first week. And we've seen other uh, OAC teams come up short in the out-of-conference play. So, yeah, I mean, Mount Union's probably not going to get tested. So it's it's an easy sort of so what. I mean, they just keep winning by 59 points or whatever they score every week. And, um, you know, you keep voting them as number two on your ballot. I can see that, the, you know, the phone is there. So you, you think highly of them, but – they don't really play anyone at the moment, especially when you look at what's been going on, the, the games that Whitewater has had and the games that Mary Harden Baylor has had. North Central just took on Wheaton. I mean, I don't know if, if these teams will be more battle-tested or you know, Mount Union is just going to be like, you know, we'll just take a break for the next couple of weeks, be well-rested in time to host a few playoff games and just roll through everything. We'll see. It, it's it's different. It feels different. It's great to have other teams to talk about. I'm not going to lie. It, I mean, I went through how many years with Whitewater yep. and Mount Union, and that was it, and nobody could beat them. And when Buffalo State did beat uh, Whitewater that one year, it was like, holy cow, we all woke up one day. Okay. Like, did, did that just happen? And, you know, when Ohio Northern back, uh, what, 16 years ago or thereabouts, or 17 years yeah. ago, beat Mount Union in an out-of-conference or in an in-conference game regular season, we were all like, whoa, that can happen. But it didn't happen much. And after that, it was another, like, 100 regular season games before something like that would happen again. So they're not losing games. They're not losing regular season games. But I guess we've come to expect it. And we've also understood that they aren't infallible in the playoffs so we just wait now for the playoffs to talk about them i guess a lot more because we don't assume they're going to win the championship anymore or be in the stag bowl for that matter anymore and that's an interesting change it's a change of pace that you know their fans need to accept just as much that the view of things has changed slightly now it doesn't mean we're right it doesn't mean we're wrong either in that factually they have not been in the stag bowl in a little while but they will probably be back when yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I just have this mental picture of last year's bracket, and I'm thinking it's probably going to be very similar to what's going to happen this year. You're going to have North Central on the right side, and Mount Union's going to be down at the other end. You'll probably have teams like Hopkins and uh, Del Val and, and other stuff kind of mixed in there, whoever, you know, let's say Ithaca and, and Cortland probably, you know, irrespective of, of what happens in the Cortica game, they're likely going to be on that side of the fence. And then 
On the other side, you're going to probably have Whitewater and Mary Harden, Baylor and Linfield, because that's just how it always is. And one of those three teams is, is going to probably you know, plow their way through. But I think right now, most in most voters' minds, let's, if Mount Union played North Central this Saturday, the Cardinals would be favored to win. And they have beaten Mount Union pretty handily the last two times. Uh, and it's still a similar cast of characters. So, uh, yeah, I... I I don't see much changing there. I think it's going to end up being a, a similar Stagwell uh, matchup that we saw last year, depending on what happens with the crew over the next few weeks. Well, what's interesting, though, don't forget, is that the crew and uh, you know Whitewater both have absorbed losses here. And so, you know, yeah. assuming they were to win out, let's say, they wouldn't be guaranteed one seeds. And so we're not assured anything realistically in how they bracket things either. Well, yeah, and the interesting thing, too, is that there's only, I think, a total of eight undefeated teams in that Region 5 and 6 land. So Linfield could potentially be where the playoffs run through. There might be flights going up to Oregon every weekend, potentially. Uh, they're the only um, undefeated team in Region 6 other than, I think, Carlton, technically, which, um, uh, you know, yeah, I don't think they're going to be. They're not going to. They're not going to finish undefeated. So there, there's going to be some interesting wrinkles to watch, and I think what happens in the Midwest Conference could could be interesting with some of the seedings and pairings. But right now, it's it still feels like it's you know three to four teams that are pretty interchangeable as far as who you could see winning the national championship. But I think it's all going to kind of come to a head like we saw last year. Yeah, it will be interesting to watch, uh, and maybe. A one-loss team is a one seed, whereas an undefeated team isn't. I mean, it's tough to say mm -hmm. that somewhere in that chain of uh, St. John's, Whitewater, Mary Hart and Baylor, uh, that those losses are so devastating that they couldn't be placed above an undefeated team. But then you're a Linfield out there saying, wait a minute, come on, we played and beat who we were supposed to play and beat. So uh, it, it'll be very, very interesting to see just how much faith this committee this year has in a one-loss team and where they sort of put them. And we understand they're going to tell us, we don't seed, they're not seeded, they're seeded. You're just not telling us what they are. Okay, let's just make this clear. It's okay <laughs> to admit it, it, that you just don't tell us what they are because you don't want people to say, well, one didn't play eight necessarily, and two didn't necessarily play seven because yeah. of geography. We get it. We're not dumb. We've explained it to the country 82 times. For 20 okay. years. Yes. So just, you know, save us that level of the lecture. And then we'll all be better off for it, ultimately. So we'll see. So anyway, um, we're going to have some uh, big games coming up. And I last week, at this point, we announced we're always going. Uh, for games on Saturday, uh, you know, last weekend. And great, we had a lot of pop and circumstance. Well, guess what, folks? This week I'm going to a game, and I'm not telling you where it is. I'm not even telling JB. JB's looking at me like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I am not telling folks where I'm going this weekend. When I show up, I show up. And I will give small hints throughout the week on where it is. And let's see folks guessing at it on Twitter. But you know what? For once, we're, I'm not going to give any preview where I'm going to pop up in terms of the D3 world here. Uh, you'll have to hmm. guess it and figure it out and see if you see me at your game. How's that? Yeah, just look for the guy in the sparkly jacket, right? No, we don't do that to the playoffs. <laughs> Come on now. I know. No, I'm it's the guy, the guy in the khakis and uh, dress shoes. The khakis, yeah. That, yeah. Yes. That's right. Okay, you, you got that right. Okay, last thoughts here as we uh, transition from week five to week six. Um, we are literally in the halfway point of the season right now as we sit here now. Five and a half weeks in, five and a half weeks to go. What are your thoughts here? Well, I think like I said before, we have a certain amount of clarity in, cer in certain conferences and regions where there's clear favorites just based on performances, based on actual games where the you know, top ranked or the, the favorite handily took care of a challenger. So I think I think we're starting to, to get a sense of what that uh, conference race picture is going to look like, but that doesn't mean there aren't going to be some major games down the road. And I can think of a couple off the top of my head that are going to be really big this upcoming weekend. Uh, so I can't wait to 
just sit back and, and get the everything set up, watch multiple games, keep track of all the action going on, and it should be another great weekend of D3 football. And there will be upsets. There will be upsets. Yes, nobody in the top 25 lost uh, this week, yada, yada. Uh, but uh, there will be upsets down the line that will really throw things off. I mean, things are already really thrown off. The excitement I'm encountering across the country as I travel to games about just what's happening and the shaking out of things at the top tier of Division Three and the games that have been played that are really great, unnatural games for what we're used to seeing. There's excitement out there, and that's great. That's what we want to be a part of with you folks. And the last thing I want to talk about here, uh, honestly, the pack is such a class act in, in terms of the teams. A lot of conferences are out there, but when we named this week the, uh, the leaders of the pack weekend and talked to Joe, uh, the conference uh, commissioner, who uh, worked with me a little bit to see if we could get uh, game times adjusted for travel reasons, and then the rain comes anyway. Uh, but went to Grove City, the love there. I got to talk to Drew Saxon's dad, uh, Stu, who made sure I found them and you know gave me a lot of the backstory of uh, Drew Saxon's uh, friendship with Andrew DiDonato, the coach of Grove City over the years, and met the, uh, his family, his grandfather as well. And a lot of Case fans went in uh, and players from Grove City are engaging with me because they know who we are and everything else. And the special moment at the end of the game with Clayton Parrish with his mom that it was not staged for those that are thinking it, it was completely uh, a gamble by me because you never know. But I saw her recording it and yeah. almost getting a little yeah. emotional standing yeah. on the other side of the camera. Exactly. Yeah. Why yeah. not bring her in? And I uh, got them some oh, great sweet. press coverage. So that was great. And then even, you know, we got from Coach D uh, some trinkets uh, from all three ECAC experiences they've had because we pretty okay. much announced all three of those uh, games yeah. for them. Yeah, uh, so announced the the pairings in 2018, 2019, and last year as well. So it's special relationship that we've had with Grove City over the years, but also Case. And then Carnegie Mellon and just a, a great night there. And Coach Larson making sure I got that t-shirt after all. Mark Fisher, the SID, <laughs> making sure uh, we had everything we needed. And, uh, you know, Scott yeah. Benzel comes out after the game, after, you know, what was really a 10-0 drubbing. And you know, wants awesome. to see how I'm doing and everything else. We we agreed it was seven to zero for how long of the game, but it felt like from their perspective it was seventy to zero because they just could never get over a hump in that game, and so it was yeah. tough for them. But he was interested to make sure I was okay, how I, how I'm doing, everything else. These are friendships we we absolutely cherish in Division Three. This is not exclusive to these schools, but I got a huge dose of it on Saturday at a point when I needed that dose of it personally because I'm exhausted, no mm -hmm. doubt. But it gives you the energy. <laughs> it gives you the drive at this part of the season to say, this is why we're keeping doing this, just like that Endicott video from Friday and everything else. So thank you to the pack for the love and everything else. Uh, we're, we're not done covering yet, don't get us wrong, but it was just a weekend that we probably won't repeat for the rest of the season with two games and all that stuff and a lot of love and a lot of travel and everything else that went with it, but uh, a lot of positive feeling, and that's all we could ask for in Division Three. We'll see you Friday, folks, on our uh, live prediction show with probably an interview. We'll let you know who and when and how throughout the week.